What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plasticfree305. Welcome back, everybody, to Rams Up, your favorite L.A. Rams podcast. You can also follow us on YouTube. Got some great video content. Our YouTube handle is at L.A. Rams Up. You can follow us on Instagram as well. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. everybody episode 196 here and i just have a hodgepodge of things to share this episode i got some stan Kroenke news and i'm not just rehashing his newest world championship this one with the denver nuggets some other stuff going on with Kroenke as far as business ventures that some of you probably don't know about i have afc power rankings i'll have another look at the rams path to the playoffs i have some mini camp notes Just a bunch of stuff all mixed up here. No rhyme or reason, but let's get to it. And by the way, next episode, I'm going to have a very special guest. Not going to give it away. Want to make sure it happens. That will hopefully be on Monday's drop. Let's rehash some minicamp stuff from McVeigh's Tuesday press conference. McVeigh really excited about finding out who those final five guys up front on the offensive line are going to be. Warren McClendon has a little knee issue. Havenstein given veterans rest time and Alaric Jackson also excused from Tuesday's practice. But just like the rest of us, McVeigh appears to be still sorting that out. One guy he called out was Mike McAllister, mentioning how he is getting a lot of snaps up front and playing well. And I have to admit, I was like, Mike who? I had forgotten about this guy. This is the undrafted rookie that they signed out of Youngstown State. So he's turning some heads. I still think he's a long shot to make this roster. Robert Rochelle, another guy we might have written off a little early, getting a long look as a starting cornerback. Remember, he had five starts as a rookie and then kind of disappeared, got buried on the special teams unit. Hey, we may need his services this season. One thing that keeps on coming up in McVeigh's press conferences, lots of youth, but man, he has a lot of veteran leadership to lean on. And a guy that's almost a veteran at this point, Tutu Atwell, McVeigh saying he's been outstanding. Quoting here, Tutu is going to have a role for us. His ability to move around, play the F, Z, and X. A nice compliment to the other guys. Super smart and a high-capacity learner. So maybe we should be buying stock in Tutu Atwell. McVeigh also mentioning Puka, Steve Avila, and Kobe Turner all doing great. Another rookie we have high hopes for. Hodges Tomlinson dealing with a hamstring issue, so we'll have to wait till Irvine to get a good look at him. He was also asked about the low expectations that a lot of the media and NFL experts have for the Rams, and he pointed out, hey, you know what? People are saying we're not going to compete this year. Last year, they were saying we're going to be really good. We just got to go play the games. Wednesday's press conference, just mentioning what a fun group it is with a big group of young players and a lot of new guys on the coaching staff. It's just a great dynamic. And when pressed, he said, you're right, guessing this 53-man roster at this point, a year ago, we could probably nail down 46 of them. This season, not so much. 
You'd be lucky to pick out 35, maybe even less than that. Ben Skowronik and Joseph Nopum still not really participating. So focused on this rookie group, he was asked about the sophomore group, and he's really counting on big contributions from Kobe Durant, Darion Kendrick, and Russ Yeast. He says all three of these guys have swag, and watch out, they're going to play really well. McVeigh seems to be pretty confident that these three are going to make contributions. And he also talked about Daniel Hardy and Kyron Williams saying Hardy has really flashed. Again, we're all excited about these rookie edge rushers that they drafted, and I've been guilty of it too. I thought this meant that maybe they don't have a lot of faith in Daniel Hardy, but McVay seems like he's a little bit excited about him. And also Kyron Williams pointing out that he really dealt with a lot of injuries last year, and he's expecting big things for him. And that's one of the big questions. Who's going to be the number two running back? Zach Evans, the rookie, Kyron Williams. We'll have to see. And he also talked about Matthew Stafford pointing out that this is the first year that he is 100% comfortable with this offense and 100% healthy. His first year with the Rams, he was still figuring out this offense. The second year, it fell apart on him between the shoulder, not being able to practice in training camp, and then dealing with the concussion Now, he's 100% healthy and knows this offense as well as anybody. That's something to get excited about. McVeigh also pointed out that having guys like Mike LaFleur and Raheem Morris to lean on, just such a big deal for McVeigh. These guys are such great communicators with these young players, know both sides of the ball inside and out. Their contributions in developing these young players should not be underestimated. Now, despite all this talk, what am I most interested in? I'm most interested in in the contributions of Steve Avila and Byron Young. These are the two key guys, 14 draft picks, 25 undrafted rookies. Avila and Young have to come in, step up, show that they're the real deal. And we're not going to find out till Irvine or even later, but that's what we have to hope for. If Young doesn't step up and fill that edge rushing role, then it better be Daniel Hardy, it better be Michael Hoyt, Nick Hampton, someone else. But man, it better be Byron Young. Can't wait to hear the first reviews on his play on the field in contact drills. And again, that's just going to have to wait till Irvine. Last bit of news here. The Rams have finally restructured a contract. I thought they were going to do that at the start of free agency and start bringing some guys in. But no, they restructured Cooper Cup's contract frees up $10.44 million in cap space. And as Cameron De Silva pointed out, no, this is not because they're going to make a big signing, a big splash. It just gives them some wiggle room. They are down to $1.3 million in cap space. They need a lot of this just to sign their remaining draft picks. And it gives them some flexibility if someone gets hurt to bring in another free agent. Or if players in one position group or another start to disappoint a little bit, bring in some veterans to beef that group up. Patrick Mahomes answering rapid-fire questions for Complex Sports on Twitter. One of the questions, the three hardest players to play against. Right out of the gate, number one, Aaron Donald did not hesitate with that answer. Jalen Ramsey, per Mahomes, playing like a dog the last few years. And Von Miller, so happy he's out of his division. Hey, what do these three guys have in common? That's right. All 
owners of Super Bowl rings with the Rams. Another question he was asked is, remove one show, The Wire, Succession, or Game of Thrones. And Patrick, you nailed it. Remove Succession and stick with Game of Thrones and The Wire. I've never actually watched The Wire, but from what I know, Succession is the one that has to go. The thing about Succession, I love that show myself, but I never remember sitting there on a Sunday afternoon thinking, oh my God, Succession episode tonight. I cannot wait. For example, what was Succession's equivalent to Game of Thrones, the Red Wedding episode, or young Ned Stark taking down the Sword of the Morning, and I could name a bunch of more Succession. Great show, but I don't think it had a single scene or episode that would crack Game of Thrones top 10. And bad guys? Nobody on Succession comes anywhere near my favorite bad guy of all time, Joffrey. Now, you all probably already heard that the Rams plans to build a permanent practice facility in Woodland Hills and move their headquarters there as well, 96-acre site that Stan Kroenke has bought. That's moving forward. They presented plans to the citizens of Woodland Hills, working community relationships there. That's always wise. The facility is going to include retail entertainment and office components as well. I'm not sure what the schedule for that is, but eventually the Rams will be in Woodland Hills instead of Thousand Oaks. But another news item popped up. Stan Kroenke is now the major investor in the 48-acre Midway Rising Sports Arena redevelopment in San Diego. He is the main guy now footing 90% of the bill, and he will have direct say in all major decisions moving forward. The city of San Diego spent three months vetting this agreement, and they announced it the other day. Crocky spreading his wings to San Diego. It's going to include over 4,000 residential units, 2,000 deed-restricted for low-income housing, a new 16,000-seat arena, 200-room hotel, 20 acres of plaza and park space. Prior to Kroenke joining, the city was really having some serious concerns, concerned that the major investors prior to Kroenke were going to have issues getting this off the ground and doing a good job with it. But with Kroenke joining, I suspect they're feeling a lot more comfortable about this project moving forward. Now, remember, Kroenke owns the Denver Major League Lacrosse team, the Mammoth, Meanwhile, the San Diego lacrosse team, the Seals, plays their games at the arena. It's also the current home to the San Diego Strike Force and San Diego Soccer's indoor football teams and the San Diego Goals ice hockey team. It's kind of poetic justice, isn't it? Crocky pouring money into a market abandoned by the Chargers. But what I'm wondering is, is this another one of Crocky's master plans could this venue in San Diego eventually draw an NBA or NHL team? Now, remember, Kroenke owns the Nuggets, but still, NBA team could play in this new arena. And I'm familiar with this area, the Midway District of San Diego. It's not the best right now. Certainly needs some upgrading, and that's what they're going to do. This looks like it's a really good plan. San Diego has invested millions in renovating the downtown area and that oceanfront area. 
the harbor front seaport village really nice place to visit now and i have a feeling this midway rising sports arena redevelopment could be a really big deal in san diego i wanted to talk about remaining unsigned free agents but i'm going to limit this to former rams and i got three groups here a bunch of guys that played with the rams formerly most of these names are pretty recognizable. Marcus Peters and Troy Hill, the cornerbacks. Sue, the defensive lineman. Notice how I didn't pronounce his first name there. Sammy Watkins, still out there. And then I got a bunch of guys that played for the Rams last year. Bryce Perkins, Ode Abushi, Malcolm Brown. Ty Nasecki and Matt Skura still available, as is Grant Haley and Jake Gervas. What all of these guys have in common that I've already mentioned, none of them were drafted by the Rams, but there are seven players who were originally drafted by the Rams, still free agents. Robert Quinn, John Johnson, Michael Brockers, Roger Saffold, Marcus Joyner, Micah Kaiser, and Dakota Allen. What do I feel about all these guys? I don't think any of them are coming back to the Rams. Maybe Grant Haley. We'll have to see how these cornerbacks perform. In the upcoming minicamp, maybe the Rams will pull the trigger and bring a guy like Grant Haley back. We'll have to see. Or maybe an inside linebacker. Always liked Micah Kaiser. Dakota Allen has proven he can play in this league. I kind of doubt it, though. I don't think any of these guys are coming back to the Rams. You know, late last year, as the Rams season started to fall apart, I was posting YouTube videos, the Rams' path to the playoffs, and taking a look at this year's schedule. You know what? I've got the Rams' path to the playoffs at this moment. What do they need to do? Now, there's a lot of different paths they could take to get there. Need to get to at least nine wins, preferably ten. But just looking at this schedule, what is the most viable way for them to get there? Well, number one, sweep the Cardinals. That would be really helpful. Number two, let's at least split with Seattle. Split with Seattle, we got to three wins there. The NFC East, they got four games. The Eagles, Commanders, Cowboys, and Giants. Got to go 50-50 there. Win two, lose two, and we're at five wins. What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plasticfree305. Next, we got to beat the Colts and the Browns. I know Vegas is really all over the Browns, really liking them. I don't see it that way. I think the Rams can beat both of these teams. They're not going to be pushovers. Colts could get rolling with Jonathan Taylor and Anthony Richardson. But those are two games the Rams got to win. And then they get the Packers from the north and the Saints from the south. Let's split those. How about that? Split those two games and we're at eight wins. What's left? Two games with the 49ers. Then we got the Steelers, Bengals, and Ravens. We need to win one of those, just one of those, to get to nine wins. Nine and eight record, very possibly in the playoffs. And you know what? They could very easily get two wins out of that group, beat the 49ers once, knock off the Steelers, maybe steal a win against the Bengals and Ravens, and maybe they beat the Seahawks twice. That's why that opening game is so important. Get off on the right foot, show the naysayers where the Rams are really headed, but that right now is my Rams' path to the playoffs. Sweep the Cardinals. 
beat Seattle once, go two and two against the NFC East, beat the Colts and the Browns, beat the Packers or the Saints, and get one more win in those two games against the 49ers, Steelers, Bengals, and Ravens. Nine and eight, Rams are in the playoffs. That's their path to the playoffs, and of course, the first leg of their path to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was going through the Rams roster, and I came up with a bunch of roster trivia just for fun. And here we go. The biggest player on the team, and that's the tallest and the heaviest, Rob Havenstein, 6'8", 330. You know, I didn't think I even realized he was that tall. The shortest, Christopher Dunn, the kicker, 5'8". The lightest, you guessed it, Tutu Atwell, 165. Even lighter than the kicker. The most experienced player, Matthew Stafford, heading into his 15th year. They have 39 rookies. That's including the 14 draft picks. They have three players listed as going into their first year. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means. These are not rookies, but they're heading into the first year. What that means to me is they have been on practice squads and such, but have never gotten into an actual game or not enough games. My understanding is If you play in five games, you get credit for a year. That makes sense for two of these guys, Vincent Gray and Zach Van Valkenburg. But on the Rams website, Ernest Brown IV, listed as a first-year player, he played in five games last year, so not quite getting that. 16 players coming back for their second year. 13 players coming back for their third year. That's a heck of a lot of players with less than three years' experience. Seven players coming back for their fourth year. Just one player coming back for their fifth year. That's Coleman Shelton. Two guys coming back for their sixth year, and they were drafted together. Brian Allen and Joseph Noteboom. Cooper Cup, the lone man coming back for his seventh year. That's hard to believe. I mean, it seems like he just got here. Such a productive wide receiver. Future Hall of Famer, perhaps. And then there's... Tyler Higby, Rob Havenstein, A.D. and Stafford heading into their 8th, ninth, 10th, and 15th years, respectively. What do we have left? We have our AFC Power Rankings coming up in a second. Hi, this is Mariah from Rams Up. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Last episode, we offered up our NFC Power Rankings. This week, we're going to jump over to the AFC, rack and stack the 16 teams. We'll start at the bottom, work our way up to our number one team, taking the same approach as we did with the NFC. I racked and stacked the entire conference. My special assistant did as well. And I came to a consensus using those two rankings. And who is our number 16 team in the AFC The consensus is the Houston Texans. Now, the one thing about the Texans is getting a really strong vibe out of Houston about C.J. Stroud, and he may be good sooner than Bryce Young. We'll have to see. They have a lot to prove, but I'm thinking C.J. Stroud might be pretty good. Who's number 15? Well, I had him as the worst team in the conference, the Las Vegas Raiders. Matt had them at number 12, so the consensus is the 15th ranked team. And in my opinion, they have taken a couple step backwards. They lost their quarterback. Devontae Adams doesn't seem to be happy. 
Jimmy G with the foot injury. Just a lot of bad vibes coming out of Las Vegas. So they ended up at number 15. Number 14 actually had a tie between two teams at number 13. The Colts and the Patriots. Matt had the Patriots ahead of the Colts. I had the Colts ahead of the Patriots. The Patriots, they're going to be respectable. They always are, but that's all we can really say about them at this point. Nothing that I see to get excited about in New England. Now, the Indianapolis Colts, a little bit of an enigma. Remember, they were pretty darn good when they had Jonathan Taylor rolling. Now they have the new quarterback, Anthony Richardson. Hey, maybe they bounce back on the shoulders of Jonathan Taylor. Tied at number 11, two teams, the Tennessee Titans and the Denver Broncos. The Titans are kind of like the Patriots. You know they're going to be respectable, competitive. I think Mike Vrabel is one of the best coaches in the league. And they're going to be relevant. They're going to be relevant during the regular season, late into the year. But I don't think you can have very high hopes about them. And the Broncos, I'm just thinking Sean Payton is going to have a really big impact there. If he figures out how to manage Russell Wilson and get Russell Wilson to play within his system and produce, the Broncos could be pretty good. I actually had them as my number 10 team, but Matt had them at 14. Probably the hardest team to gauge right now in the AFC, the Denver Broncos. Coming in at number 10, the Cleveland Browns. I know Vegas is starting to get all over Cleveland. Deshaun Watson maybe going to return to his old form, but that remains to be seen. Number nine, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And both of us had the Steelers as our number nine team. Love their young quarterback, but there's still some holes on that roster. Number eight, the Baltimore Ravens. I had them at seven. Matt had them at eight. I know they're trying to tweak that offense, but I'm telling you, the less Lamar runs, the less the Ravens will win. Number seven, the Jacksonville Jags. They're on the ascent. I don't think they're really a threat this year. I mean, they're probably going to make the playoffs. They just went on a good run late in the year and that win over the Chargers in the playoffs. But remember, the Chargers clobbered them at home for most of that game, and then the Jags finally woke up. Like the fact that they came back, but I don't think they're ready for prime time. You can't be falling behind in playoff games like that against really good teams. Kind of gives you an indication of where the Jags really are. A good team, but a big separation between them and the top three teams we're going to get to here in a second. Number six, the New York Jets. And we'll just have to see how much of a difference Aaron Rodgers makes. I think it's going to be a a difference, but is it going to be big? Is it going to be great? Is it is he going to elevate that team? That team's got a good defense as it is. Got the young wide receiver, Garrett Wilson. A lot to like about the Jets. See if Aaron Rodgers can get them to the promised land. Number five, the Miami Dolphins. They're just going to be really scary on offense. And their coach, I love their coach. Lots of speed. If Tua can't stay healthy, this team's going to be in trouble though. Number four, our crosstown rivals, the Los Angeles Chargers. I think Kellen Moore is going to make a big difference with this offense. They have all the weapons. They have the good quarterback. Their defense is okay. I know it collapses at times, but they have the roster to be decent on defense. They just need to stop giving up 30-point leads in the playoffs, and they'll probably be okay. Number three, the Buffalo Bills. Vaughn Miller and Leonard Floyd could get a second ring together. I think the Bills fell into a trap last year. 
They read all the headlines. They thought they had it in the bag. They're going to walk to the Super Bowl after hammering the Rams on that opening day. And they forgot that it's a 17-game season and there are a couple of really good teams in the AFC that they have to deal with. And one of those teams is our number two team, the Cincinnati Bengals. They're really closing the gap on the Chiefs. And Joe Burrow, he's just special. This could be the year the Bengals get back to the Super Bowl and maybe even win it. And number one, you can't deny the Kansas City Chiefs at number one spot. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid really make this an easy call. You know they're going to be in the playoffs. And dealing with those two in a playoff game, that's a tough nut to crack. Chiefs are my number one team. And and if I was going to rack and stack the entire league today, I would probably have those top three AFC teams as one, two, and three, followed by the Eagles and then the 49ers. But that's my AFC power rankings, one through 16. The consensus between my assistant Matt and myself, Texans at the bottom, Chiefs at the top, and we'll revisit this another time. But I don't think it's going to change much until opening day, barring any significant injuries. That's my AFC Power Rankings. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at ramsup.com. And don't forget about our YouTube channel. Our handle is at laramsup.com. Till next time, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of the YouTube Audio Library. Tracks featuring Bar Crawl by Track Tribe. Buckeye Bonsai by Vans in Japan. And Crimson Fly by Hamahama. For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to Nick Hughes across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's golo.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com.